You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Where are we? I don't even fucking know. What it's, day is it? It's you just Thursday. Posted about the episode. Yeah. Do you remember what number we're at? I think we're 62. at sixty-two. Is there anything else happening? Oh, we're going home. Um, we're going we're home. We're going home for 40 weddings. Potentially there was some Zodiac stuff, but oh, also yeah, potentially Oh, yeah, it's not. still not sure. Maybe yeah. maybe they identified him, maybe not. We're that waiting. said, the best part about this whole thing is that back in 2018, this dude, the potential Zodiac killer, one of this dude's friends on Facebook just posted a bunch of pictures with him and just, like, captions like, we're hanging out, and then also... Underneath that, it just says Zodiac with a question mark. But it's crazy because if it, like, really is the Zodiac Killer, if they're able to link it, like, that's something I never thought would no, ever. Same. Like, I, I never, ever thought. One. Like, I was like, yeah. this is going to be, it's just like the Jack the Ripper thing. We're never going to know who mm-hmm. it is. So it's crazy talk if they are actually able to identify him. It was like his full name fit into a couple of their, like, weird ciphers and shit yeah. like that. And I was crazy like, okay, we'll talk. see how that goes. That's crazy. Good well, memes, we'll though. See. Anya sent it to me with a fucking minion meme, and I was like, this is the first thing I'm seeing with this news. And she was like, I'm really sorry I broke it to you <laughs> with a weird fucking minion <laughs> meme. And I was like, honestly, if anyone deserves that shit, it's the fucking Zodiac Killer. But she, she was like, it's how I found out. <laughs> also, so Anya called him the Walmart brand Riddler, and honestly, that is the perfect... <laughs> it's so... It's so on brand and right on the money that I'm like, God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that's the only thing. And we're going home. Yeah. You've been watching a lot of Buffy. I'm way more into it than I should be. That's so fucking funny. I know. But I'm already in season three. And I'm still obsessed with Angel. <laughs> Hasn't changed. And Cordelia. Mm-hmm. I love her too. Yeah. Unsurprisingly... <laughs> About me, I always was like, maybe Buffy should just get with Faith and say, fuck all these dumb vampire boys. All right, so we're on episode 62. 62. We are in part three of Spoopy Season. <laughs> I'm Brady Petrudo. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But, but First, Let's, let's talk, talk Nerdy. Clank. Clank. Uh, oh, yeah, it's a clonk because they're clonk. big hands. She's a clonk to do. Uh, also, I definitely fucked up my last name on that one. <laughs> Sometimes it just comes out, like, very squooshed. Okay, Martha. <laughs> what are we talking about today? More So what am I talking about today? Okay, okay. So, like, three days ago... Uh, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to pick something hard so it won't be like, scary or blah, 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 so it won't be long or a big deal or blah, yep. blah, blah, or deep or anything. It's deep, and isn't it? It is deep! You, have, you needed to go chill after my awful topic last it's week. Not, it's not, like, super cheerful, but it's interesting. Well, I mean, it's horror. It can't yeah. be super cheerful. It's horror. So what I am talking about is... The horror movie genre as a look at our collective societal fears through the decades. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, God. I'm going to learn a lot about myself this episode. Oh, yeah. No, literally, I definitely have something written in here about 
some weird truth slotting into place and you're like, ah, it all <laughs> makes sense now. So specifically uh, horror movies and mostly specifically American horror movies because that's the shit that I know. But like horror is such a like very specifically involved in that time genre. Like there's always a lot of weird technology where you're like, okay, this is, you can always tell when something came out in a horror movie. 100%. There's never like, I mean, I'm sure there are a couple outliers, but there's never a horror movie where you look back and you're like, oh, this was from the eighties and it was from the sixties or something like that. Mm -hmm. No, you're like, oh, this was from the eighties because it included a lot of titties and also gore, but like special effects good music it's funny watching backtrack tiny bit but still Mm -hmm. on topic watching buffy because it was in the 90s so no one has cell phones yeah i'm like it's such a like different yes it's it's weird because it's weird i'm like 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 when they're like i'm gonna call the cops and buffy like rips the phone out of the wall i was like it's so (laughs) yeah because it's weird there are so many problems that like communicative problems that could have been solved with With the cell phone yeah you're like oh this wouldn't be a thing now yeah and it's not that long ago and it's a very different time period yes Mm -hmm. it probably also happens with books and stuff too like i bet creepypasta you could go year by year yeah like really specific about it Going back to just a couple weeks ago when mm-hmm. I was doing fact or fiction, which is essentially yep. starting of creepypasta. Same yep. with like Twilight Zone mm-hmm. is the starting of creepypasta. But like, like car like phones. Ghost stories like, or like yeah. urban legends where you're like, it turns out it was somebody hiding in the back of the car. Yeah. Well, so the thing, there's, there literally was yeah. uh, with that, but she had like a car phone. Mm-hmm. Oh, car, car phones. Yes! <laughs> exactly! <laughs> How much more 90s can you get than a fucking car phone? Yikes, fuck. <laughs> car okay. phone and a tank top with spaghetti straps uh, and no bra. Yep. Fuck Ugh. that shit. Ugh. Also, if you own a spaghetti strap tank top with no bra, you probably didn't own a car with a car phone because you were, like, too young for it. It's true. But here we are. But with movies, because movies are so specifically generational, uh, we can look back and see exactly what we were looking at and fearing during that time. And it can lead to what, like, happened that led to the movies that were happening at the time. Yeah. Which is super cool. Yeah. And weird. And it's, like, all the weird things that you later discover about yourself when you, like, say something random on your podcast. And then you read (laughs) Combine. I'm still scarred. Something else just slots into place. Yeah. Sometimes you realize something because you said something as a joke and then you're like, oh shit. (laughs) Oh no. And like the horror genre is very much like that. Yes. (laughs) So um, my sources for this were both super awesome. And if anybody likes this uh, sort of thing, uh, you can check them out because they were really, really interesting. I was like, don't fall down this hole. You do not have fucking time, (laughs) but I'm gonna just not yet. (laughs) I only fell down a little, and then I was like, nope, help. (laughs) So it was horrorfilmhistory.com. Super fucking interesting. Tons of fucking shit on there. And then Fear and Now, How Horror Movies Reflect Societal Unease on trovestudio.com. Fear and Now. It's so stupid, but also (laughs) I'm laughing about it still. So what? So uh, 
basically, if you're exploring the history of horror movies, you need context because uh, horror doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's not based on a fixed set of ideas. Like what we're afraid of evolves with the within the uh, like zeitgeist of things. So it reflects what we're dealing with at the time. Uh, horror offers us a fictional space in which we can share and evaluate our collective fears, whatever they may be at the time. Um, they allow us to examine the darkest possibilities of new concepts in science, science and technology most of the time. There is also, as we talked about in the Crypt Keeper episode, a lot of censorship and horror. Because mm-hmm. everybody's like, what if it makes people murder people? And it's like, no, it makes people not murder people. People who are going to murder people are going to murder people without movies or not. Exactly. That is not... Because they're psychopaths. Yeah. Usually that has to do with literally things that do not have to... It's all a lot of... Just like violent video games aren't going to make people murder people. Yeah. If you're going to murder someone, you're going to murder someone because you're a psychopath. Mm -hmm. Violent video games are just... Like, it's okay to have weird, gratuitous violence as an outlet for your, like fucking nonsense that's going on that's oh fucking k so if you need to go into gta and like hit a bunch of people with a car or watch all of the final destination movies and then be like oh but also (laughs) that's okay that's fine this also is like audiences evolve too which clearly like our fears evolve and we evolve so the things that were scary once upon a time are not anymore yep you have to ramp things up and ramp things up and ramp things up and that is very much a horror thing and then you like a lot of times you ramp things up too much and then they're like no we have to come back you have to dial it back a few yeah. a few numbers there yeah a this was too much and b because this was too much we don't have the budget anymore <laughs> <laughs> So hard by the decades as a reflection. While most of this is going to be about American horror, I think it's kind of important to talk about horror in the 20s, which there was a lot of horror that was very important in Germany. But it was before World War II, but after World War I. Okay. You know, everything was a, a pretty big nightmare. So prior to the rise of the Third Reich... Germany was still reeling from the trauma of the war, as and it was reflected in a surge of horror movies that became known as Weimar cinema. But during this time, Germany released some of the most influential horror movies of all time, all of which work as vessels to show the alienation and isolation that Germany felt after the war. Uh, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is often called the first true horror movie in 1920. What was it? Uh, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari okay. uh, shows a wealthy doctor abusing his authority, hypnotizing a sleepwalker into committing murder, reflecting Germany's feeling at being overly punished for the war. At the conclusion of Nosferatu, the first vampire movie ever in 1922, the heroine of the film is forced to spend a night with the titular creature to spare her town. I've actually cool. seen that movie. I've seen chunks of it. I have not seen The Cabinet yeah. of Dr. Caligari, but, you know. These were all silent, right? Yes. And then, uh, in the 1930s, we got sound. Yay. I know Phantom of the Opera first came out when it was silent. Mm-hmm. I've seen that one. Yes. The makeup in that is fucking crazy. Yeah. Very scary looking. 
Yeah, so horror movies were reborn in the 1930s because we got fucking sound, and that's pretty sick. Uh, not just dialogue, but you had a lot of sound effects. Sound effects are a big part yeah. of horror. Well, music is such oh a... Oh my god, so big. Without for music, a lot of times you'd just be like, okay, but music totally makes you feel it a specific It gives you way. that, like... I'm on the edge of my seat yeah. because I know something's going to happen, but I don't yeah. know what it is. And it can be anything. You know I'm the jump scare yeah. fucking queen. It can be for that. It can mm-hmm. be for, like, happy feelings. Yeah. It can be for intent. Like, music is such a big part. And it's not something it, you ever really think it's about because it's in the background, mm-hmm. but it totally sets the mood. Yeah. 100%. But, yeah, sound effects also added an extra dimension to terror, from creaking doors to echoing footsteps to the rumbling of thunder remember that time we were playing resident evil and you screamed over the lightning <laughs> and thunder that had been going off the whole time no i don't but that does sound <laughs> in character and then i had to put the controller down and turn the game off and i haven't played it since i mean i don't 100 percent remember exactly <laughs> the specifics but also i'm not very surprised by anything that has happened here yeah music cues uh, built suspense or signaled the presence of a threat which like we were saying, or or you just have the like surprise thing where you're like, actually everything is very sunny and nice, and then something very fucking terrifying happens, and you're like, shit, which you know fucks you up, and then uh, <laughs> yeah, your uh, fucking welcome. What's his name? It's a uh, Dvorak wrote the Jaws theme, not the Jaws theme, oh. but he wrote the New World Symphony and oh. like. A lot of John Williams' main themes are just ripped right from it. I like it. Including the Jaws theme. So I got to basically play the Jaws theme with my college, which was cool. Because the bass part of that obviously slaps. Alright. Yeah. You know, you gotta, you gotta do that jump. That's important. You're like, oh no, something's approaching. It's here! But yeah, so everything fucking made noise, and noises made things more scary, which makes fucking sense. It also, you've got, like, when you've got a lot of noise and then no noise, very scary. Yeah. There's a lot of that shit. During the 1930s, so they had the Great Depression rolled around in, like, 1929. Yeah, yep. Super bummer. that last Bad week. times. Yes, we did. It was a bummer. It was a bummer there, It was there a bummer too. then. It's a bummer now. <laughs> Turns out when you're in a giant depression in America, it's, it's kind a of a huge bummer. I don't know anything about that, and I'm yeah, sure you guys don't either. Ever. None of us are familiar with this as people who exist. But uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so they were like, uh, let's return to normal. Everything is going to be... It was the exact definition of that fucking dog meme where everything's on fire and he's like drinking a cup. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I'm Everything's fine. fine. Everything's fine. I'm still wearing my little hat. Everything's fine. fine. We're returning to normal. So instead of having like very big and scary over looming things, you also had the like most of the Universal Studios monsters where it was more like kind of fun, more campy, things that were mysterious and looming but were also kind of silly. So uh, Frankenstein, Dracula, Creature from the Black Lagoon, and the Mummy all came to the silver screen during that time and like represented potentially something that was scary and unknown, but also it wasn't like, hello, look at some terrible war shit and some other nonsense. It was, this is safe horror. Mm-hmm. 
so you had Frankenstein, and then yep. we had Dr. Frankenstein because of that, blah, blah, blah. And during that time, it was less, you know. Dr. Frankenstein is like, he's a scientist, and yes, he's mad, but is it too much? After that, they had a lot of um, mad scientists during that decade that popped up that uh, reflected the uh, ongoing cultural fascination with eugenics, which is the idea that the only way to prevent a future catastrophe for the human race was by selective breeding of the general genetically superior and forced sterilization of those with undesirable genetics. Um, But yeah, so the Nazis obviously were like a big part of this but they weren't the only people who had agreed with this thinking um lots of prominent citizens like the rich fucking people so leaders at the carnegie institution and the wk uh, kellogg foundation to fucking president roosevelt himself put time money and energy into the eugenics cause Uh, at the same time that was when the tuskegee experiments were going on which the what? The Tuskegee experiments were going on, which is when they uh, basically, they infected 400 unsuspecting black Americans with syphilis. And then were like, uh, what will it do? Come on! Yeah. So yeah, that's a bad time. And uh, most of Hollywood was, because it was more like immigrants and outsiders and not fucking rich people, at least at this time. You know, half and half. Some of that was still rich people, but whatever. Uh, They were drawn to stories that warned of the consequences of science and scientists run amok. Like, they talked about Dr. Caligari in the 1920s, but you also had The Island of Lost Souls in 1933, uh, The Invisible Man in 1933, and there's a wax museum one. You know that's a bad time. So, moving on. Because that shit is more depressing. This shit is also depressing, but it's, you know, kind of more fun. Because 1950s horror movies. So 1950s contrast radically with their 1940s predecessors uh, because we were living in a whole new world. The war was over. The war was over. But also... We won. We won. It left 40 million dead. And we all were very aware of how terrible people are. Hitler um, was dead. Hitler was dead. Ew, Nazis. Ew, Nazis. Don't be a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Homecoming soldiers and bereaved widows had lived through too much personal horror to be frightened by the hokey fantasies of costumed monsters. And because we had dropped the fucking atomic bomb on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, yeah. mm-hmm, uh, there was a whole new crop of fears to deal with. And the biggest ones on those were uh, both fears of the potential world-ending nuclear bomb or after-effects of the nuclear bomb. Armageddon. And the spread of communism. Lots of stuff blew up. There was a very, very, very large bomb. Everybody was very worried about it. And uh, the 50s was still concerned with monsters. But these monsters were fucking giant monsters. Because everybody was like, science has gone Where fucking Godzilla bonkers. Yeah! Is this Godzilla from the 50s? Yeah! Honestly, the 50s is probably one of my, like, favorite times in horror because there's a lot of, it's like, what can we make giant and weird? A lot of things. Um, A lot of things, it turns out. Yes. So this isn't in my thing, but uh, there was a movie, I believe in the 50s, called Monolith Monsters, 
some sort of chemical affects these rocks and they just keep growing, 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 growing big and then smashing up people because they just get too big. They're just monoliths that just get too big and they're like, have to figure out how to solve that problem because science is bad. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who okayed this project? There were a lot. It was, a, it was a time. It was a time. It was a time. So uh, everything got huge and massive and cataclysmic and apocalyptic, as you were just saying. Uh, so all of our monsters had to get that way. So like Godzilla, but we also had uh, the original Blob. And then like uh, War of the Worlds, the original War of the Worlds was also during that time. So giant epic destruction, yep. not too dissimilar from the bomb. So you've got the fervor of potential nuclear holocaust. Then you also had fucking Joseph McCarthy, like I was saying, who was a senator in, from Wisconsin in the 50s and basically was All like there. almost responsible for most of the Red Scare and like would just put people out of business and put people into jail and fuck people over just because he was like, I think you're a communist or everybody turn on each other. It was a lot of that. Why are people like this? There's that episode of the Twilight Zone, as we were talking about earlier, where it's the um, little neighborhood. <sighs> I wish I could remember the name. It's like Elm Street or Maple Street or something like that. Where it's just a normal street of yep. people, and it's like, maybe one of us is an alien! Yep. And everybody turns on each other. Uh, yep. Bam. That shit. Also, same sort of thing that is that shit. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, one of my most, most favorite. Where you're like, actually, we're all turning on each other because we're all becoming this one thing. And then also, you can't go to sleep, and that's scary. Yeah, no, I would just kill myself. Yep. Whenever it comes to not being able to sleep, no I will way. just choose death. I'm yeah. not. I will just choose death. <laughs> like, I hate to cheers on that, but we're gonna. <laughs> like, no, I need sleep more than, you know. Yeah, no, like, it's not worth it. <laughs> if I can't sleep, it's not worth it. So when the uh, Cold War happened, there was a lot of the same sort of paranoia. So a lot of these movies got remade, which turned out to be my most favorite horror movie ever. 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Donald Sutherland. So good. Okay, so unnecessary. The only one I saw of all of those was the new invasion with Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman. Because it's Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman. That's fair. Also, so the first recorded sighting of a flying saucer occurred uh, on June 24th in 1947. Which one was it? Followed almost immediately by the crash of a supposed weather balloon in Roswell. So it was the one before Roswell, which I don't know. But it, I do know that they talked about like something had happened. They'd mentioned flying saucers, and that's probably why the people at Roswell were like, flying saucers. Mm -hmm. That's another reason that you had more like aliens that were coming down that were it was either like cosmic giant beasties mm -hmm. all of us were turning on each other because communism mm -hmm. or aliens or maybe both maybe the reason we were turning on each other was because of aliens invasion of the body stabbers yeah so fucking good also, so in 1952, there was a ruling in the Supreme Court and uh, films were recategorized under free speech. So we were able to do more things because 
all of the production codes weren't like, you can't do that because people are going to murder each other yep. because they saw it on a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, what a fucking nightmare. Stupid fucking... I like how they're like, then. they're going to murder people because they saw it in a movie, but we did just go through a world war where we lost hundreds of thousands of where people. Where we forced a lot of people to murder a lot of other people. And we dropped a fucking atomic bomb on Japan. Murdering a lot of those people. You know. Innocent civilian people. But the real problem is the <laughs> movies. <laughs> Ugh. Okay. So, uh, 1960s. Oh God, I hate white people. For real, the worst. <laughs> uh, the 1960s and 70s were, uh, some very violent and radical decades for America. So we had a lot of assassinations, uh, JFK and Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. There was the Vietnam War, which was a fucking nightmare. Charles Manson was on the loose. Racism was at a boiling point. Presidents who said they weren't crooks were definitely crooks. Things were changing in America big time. And the whole, like, meet around the dinner table or, like, try to understand your enemy. I don't know. It was a fake idea to be being with, let's be real. Mm -hmm. But that idea was gone. Also, uh, there was a lot of fear of children evident in many 1970s movies, especially fear of the, like, messy, painful, basically childbirth. And it was perhaps, A, a consequence of men writing and directing all movies, and B, uh, contraceptive pills came out during that time. So you were divorcing sex from childbirth, and because of it, basically, sex becomes just something for pleasure and the byproducts become like monstrous aberrations how dare a woman have sex for pleasure oh no how dare yeah the whole um abortion debate was very huge uh shocking it hasn't changed roe v wade was 1973 that's when that decision was made basically at this point you were actually able to plan your family instead of just lucking into it or also not lucking into it. Yes, exactly. Pregnancy. This is a quote, which is a great one. Uh, pregnancy was no longer a matter of luck or divine favor or retribution. Ugh. um, in theory, this meant no more unwanted children. However, um, you know, hundred percent like that. And because there were a lot of like worries about um, overpopulation at the same time. um, Which is still a worry. Yeah. (laughs) See, we can also afford these people if people were less greedy, but whatever, not a big deal. But yeah, even if you wanted a child, you're bringing it into this world, which like it's only gotten worse since then. So Mm. whatever you've got uh, environmental pollutants and medication side effects and shit like that. Mm. Mm. Uh, the omen came out during this time. It's like, what if our baby's actually the devil? Like he's going to fuck you up then. Uh, Last year's spoopy season. See last year's spoopy season. Crumbling family unit generated much fear and mistrust, especially for men. Because, of course, and filmmakers in the 1970s were basically all fucking men. So they used horror to reflect their personal fears about the way that the world was going and their changing role in it. Ew. 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 I cannot say ew enough to that. That's a hundo percent fair. Uh, consequently, in many 1970s horror movies, the other isn't a shape-shifting alien crash-landing from another planet. Instead, the other lurks inside your own home. It's your mom, like the brood. It's your dad, like the shining. It's your brother, like Halloween. 
your sister, like Alice, sweet Alice, which I've never seen. Your husband, like Stepford Wives, which is too, too real forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, your little boy, like The Omen. Uh, your preteen in The Exorcist. 1970s horror movies acknowledge that the small personal stories like that can be more intense than and more realistic and realistic actually more realistically you are going to be murdered by someone in your family oh no (laughs) that wasn't where i was going but that's fine uh yeah so now we're out of the 70s and into the 80s horror movies of the 80s let's be real probably began in 1979 with alien okay Mm-hmm. when did the birds come out the birds okay the birds was oh, fuck because i definitely read this it was either the 60s or the 50s hey siri when did the birds come out which 60s price? 1963 mm-hmm. or if we're looking for the angry birds movie it was in 2016 <laughs> Oh, I hate that. Yeah. And the 60s, that makes sense because it was a lot of... Um, 60s was also Psycho, which uh, okay. 60s was a lot of, like, they were afraid of, like, fucking Manson and they were afraid of killers. Yep. Um, and it was also very... It, there was a lot of, like, unnecessary violence, but in a 60s way. So, you know, you're like, oh, that blood looks weird. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Horror movies of the 1980s are basically like all of our fucking special effects finally catch up with us <laughs> and it's the goddamn bad and this is the era of the worst best horror movies yes exactly <laughs> it's like 80s music very good 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 special effects and also a lot of titties you know <laughs> twist my fucking arm i guess uh free speech free speech <laughs> <laughs> So, technical advances in the field of animatronics and of liquid and foam latex meant that the human frame could be distorted uh, to an entirely new dimension on screen. Also, it was the 1980s, so it was the age of fucking greed is good. So, it was like, more and more and more and and more. all the colors were bright. Everything has to be bigger and shiner and shiner? (laughs) Bigger and shinier and faster and and more more buttons and shit like that. More coke, probably. Let's be real. It 100%. was the eighties. Throwing some rollerblades and some jazzercise. Roller skates. Roller skates. I think rollerblades was the nineties. That's true. Because I had rollerblades when I started. Rollerblades are easier than roller skates. I'm not good at either of them. So Shocking, no one. Oh no! What? <laughs> Uh, the special effects were like shit that they could only really dream about before and everything that was lurking in the shadows in older horror movies you could actually fucking see now. The monsters were out of the closet. The body horror and the regular horror all got turned all the way up to 11 and that was a good fucking time. And then obviously as a result, the 1990s, we shifted away from that. Uh, In the 1990s, the fucking color palette changed drastically. So you didn't have those vibrant neon colors that you had before, but instead now things were a lot more muted. Also, because they had put so much money into horror in the 80s, the money wasn't as much there. So instead of focusing on something huge and over the top, you had to do something that was less of the buckets of liquid latex and more of the serial killers and deaths and things like that. 
Also, sorry folks, we had some technical difficulties where our recorder stopped working, so you guys are going to have to miss out on Brittany for this last chunk because we didn't have time to do it together. Sorry, uh, she'll be back when we get back to her section. But yeah, so as in previous decades, the 1990s horror movies uh, came to contemporary fears and spat them back as fiction. Uh, The first Gulf War and the recession of 1990, which began to set the cultural tone as the negative consequences of deregulation, Jesus, and rampant capitalism began to have an effect. So we had the greed is good of the 1980s, the over the top, over the top, and now it's like, "Mm, it's, it's not. And 1990s horror movies also reflected the approaching end of the millennium. Is the year 2000 going to mean anything? Uh, Spoiler alert, no. But at the time, you still had people who did very much believe this. Uh, In Texas, you had the Branch Davidians in 1993, and in California, Heaven's Gate in 1997. And both of these died en masse for their beliefs. Was this the right choice? As I said, clearly fucking no. But here we are. At a B-movie level, serial killer narratives, which don't require a lot of special effects and actual buckets of blood, were a lot more economical to shoot than a typical 80s splatterfest and became a favorite of the robust straight-to-DVD market. Uh, On a more subconscious level, the focus on human monsters in the 1990s made a lot of sense because we also had a lot of senseless killers and senseless death on the news. We arrested Jeffrey Dahmer in 1991. The Rwanda genocide was 1994. The yogurt shop murders were 1991. Uh, O.J. Simpson, 1994. Bonnet Ramsey, 1996. Nightly headlines were fucking crazy and true crime was starting to really hit and dominate primetime. And the horror genre is always sensitive to the zeitgeist and it went in the same way but of course uh it still goes further it's not the 80s but it is still horror this is what we're doing while true crime itself is more educational and understands that serial killers are degenerate and deviant and damned and their stories should be told in a manner that's instructive and not salacious which, let's be real, isn't something that happens even with regular serial killers. That's always something fucking salacious. But I think most people can recognize that most serial killers are just dudes who got lucky. As we talked about earlier, we've got bargain basement fucking Riddler over here who's maybe just getting caught now. But in fictional horror movies... Uh, serial killers could be simultaneously charming and cutthroat. You had Hannibal Lecter, who is incredibly charming and polite, but also very, very terrifying. In some cases in the 90s horror movies, it's just a slasher with their mask off, but with a lot of other cases, they're a lot more complex characters, and they're assigned as much screen time as the cops and FBI agents on their tails, and given just as much character development. Filmmakers didn't have to look far for source material um, because uh, there's a ton of fucking crime bestsellers. Silence of the Lambs is a good example of this. So is Seven, which what's in the box? Moving on to the 2000s. I think we all know what affected things in the 2000s. Extremism and terrorism is something that America had been familiar with prior to 9-11, but 
once it had reached our shores with such startling violence, it became a truly huge and affecting thing. The security blanket that we thought we had was gone, and America was forced to face with uncertainty the war on terror. Is this something that could actually stop? Could you trust your neighbors? That's a lot of racist dog whistles and shit like that. But also, that was a big part of society at that time, and uh, it felt like the people around you couldn't be trusted, like some sort of a virus was taking over. And in that, we also had SARS in 2003, which was like one of the first big flus before, before everything hit, which really feels prescient now because we didn't fucking listen to ourselves. Uh, and in the early to mid 2000s, the zombie movies fucking just exploded. They were everywhere. There were a ton of them. There were more than I could count on IMDb, and I wasn't going to look. I mean, I didn't try that hard, but still, there were a lot. And probably the best of the bunch, and the most 2,000 of the bunch, was 28 Days Later. Its sequel is okay. Not, I'm personally not a fan, but 28 Days Later was a really good example of what the zombie genre represented, which is radical versions of everyday people, and then also seemingly endless numbers that are seeking our destruction. Which brings us to today. Nowadays, uh, we've had a lot of really good and standout horror in the last, I'd say, since 2014 or so on. Uh, zombie craze died down in the later 2000s, and horror went dead for a little bit, and then she came back with a vengeance in 2014 with It Follows, which uh, I believe was last spooky season, and The Babadook. So why is horror back? What are we currently afraid of? What's going on? Um, obviously, there's different theories, and obviously, it's very hard to look at something while you are living through it versus looking back and seeing ex exactly what people were fearing. But a lot of it has to do with communication and the lack of communication or the breakdown of communication. People who present themselves as one thing, especially when they're out on social media or present themselves as one person and then are actually a separately different person. So you've got some of that and then you also have the fact that sometimes it's just communication breakdown when there's trauma. As we know, uh, social media and technological advancement has its benefits, of course. We don't have to go into that. You guys all fucking know. But there are a lot of parts of that which can be negative. It can feel like you know a person just by knowing their pictures, but you're only getting one exact version of them. And sometimes something gets lost in translation, and there's a lot of societal disconnect. So if you look at this new wave of horror movies, um, an absence of communication uh, within family or otherwise, and then the following disintegration of that family appears to be its MO. So in It Follows, the teens at the center of the film have to battle the titular It on their own, an adult presence completely detached from their lives. Uh, in The Witch, uh, which is incredible from 2016, a family accuses their daughter of being a witch, and instead of listening to her literally at all, they damn her without hesitation. 
And then, spoiler alert, she goes out and becomes a witch and lives her best fucking life. And probably her family all die of, like, I don't know, dysentery. Fuck those guys. In Get Out, which was also incredible, you see the duplicitous white society telling a black man that what they think he wants to hear, but it's all but it's all fucking lies because they're trying to just control and change. Ugh, it's watch it if you haven't. That would be a whole thing. Uh, and then in the Babadook, Hereditary, and A Quiet Place, all of these families are dealing with some really devastating trauma and grief, but because they are unable and unwilling to just talk about it, that threatens to tear their families apart and allow whatever evil is at work to wreak havoc. Again, it's hard to say exactly what we're fearing while we're actually fearing it, but looking at the movies that we're coming from and the ones that are really hitting hard and doing well now, there's definitely a lot of worry about communication. That's the heart of it. So yeah, that is the history of horror. This is just me finishing it up for you guys. Hope you enjoyed it, and then we'll get to the next part. Thanks! Hi everyone, it's Nathan, host of the 42Cast. Our second season is just underway, and it's never been a better time to check in on what we're doing. Whether it's talking about the latest movies from the MCU, watching the Arrowverse shows, talking about classics such as Star Trek and Doctor Who, playing 8-bit video games, or sharing celebrity interviews, the 42Cast has something for everyone. So give it a listen, and discover why it's the ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. The 42Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Dr. Geek here with another reminder that the ESO Network is pro-science and pro-vaccine. We urge you to be a superhero and protect yourself, your family, and your fellow geeks around the world. Don't be fooled by the forces of evil and their anti-science misinformation campaign. Consult the latest CDC guidelines, your doctor, and get the COVID vaccine today. Technical difficulties. Kind of. We're doing great! Alright. My topic goes with yours a little bit. I'm excited. And it is disturbing behavior from the 1990s. And this time I actually know exactly (laughs) what you're talking about. (laughs) Alright. My sources were Wikipedia... Uh, article called Visiting the 90s Stepford Horrors of Disturbing Behavior by Cheryl Eddy, and I watched the movie. So Disturbing Behavior, for those of you who don't know, is a 1998 American teen science fiction psychological horror film starring James Marsden, Katie Holmes, and Nick Stahl. It's a little bit of that, like, we're not trusting our neighbor. Yeah. Prescient. Yes. The screenplay was written by Scott Rosenberg and follows a group of high school outcasts who are horrified by their blue ribbon classmates, quotations. Mm -hmm. Air uh, quotes. (laughs) You know that shit. uh, Who are part of an elaborate mind control experiment. And it's also compared to the 1975 thriller, The Stepford Wives. 
the film was directed by David Nutter, who was a director and producer of the X-File, and he in something called The Millennium of Millennium. Hmm. Not as cool as The X-Files. Yes, exactly. That's why they put it second. Yeah, I don't even know what it is. It's fine. So the movie opens with a scene very familiar to most horror, but then quickly goes down a different road. It's two high school students in a car, and they are making out. The guy is acting a little weird, and but he also keeps mentioning how he needs fluid, his fluid, whatever that means. At this point, we don't know what that means. I assume that you're a terrible boy. So... It doesn't, it, no, I don't, it, it's gross. It, but, like, not in a gross sex, sexual way. We don't understand what it means at this point. Okay. It's, yeah, it's weird how he says it. Honestly, not a f- fan of the word fluid, fluid unless it comes after gender. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, you're in a hospital setting and they're legit, like, we're giving you fluids. Even then, I'm not a fan of it in that setting <laughs> because it still gives me the heebie-jeebies. But it makes more sense. <laughs> It then appears that the girl is now giving this tool head. Gross. And his facial expression changes to something sort of angry or, you know, <laughs> whatever. And he reached down and, like, grabs her hair. And then that's really all we see. And his eyes flash red. And that's all she wrote. And that is all she wrote, unfortunately. Mm. So... The cops end up showing up to break up the party because they're just at, like, typical makeout point. And the... Not an actual party. Just n- this no, party. This party. The party of two right For a here. second, I was like, are they at a party but no. just in the car? No. They're like, we have to go get something out of the car. I left something on in the glove box. <laughs> on the glove box? <laughs> you mean my, the dashboard? I left my oven on in the glove box. <laughs> uh, and I have to, like... Go get it. I might have pushed my cigarette lighter in. I'm pretty sure my car's going to catch on fire if I don't go outside right now. <laughs> Anyways. And get some. So they are not at a party. <laughs> so uh, Who doesn't understand? <laughs> you guys weren't aware they're not at a party. <laughs> they're at Makeup Point and this girl's giving this guy head. <laughs> Ew. The cops show up, and the yeah, yeah, and so one cop. There's two of them. One cop is like, "You need to get out of the car," and so he gets out of the car, and then he's the one cop. He's clearly like the sheriff or something is like talking to him, and the other cop that is with him flashes his light into the kid's car, and the girl is dead. So he. I like how you made yep. a shock face. <laughs> like you were shocked. What? Yes. So before the cop turns around to say something, being like, oh no, but before he could say anything. <laughs> That's what cops yeah, usually oh, say. No. <laughs> before he can say anything, the gra- the boy grabs the other cop who he's talking to, his gun, and shoots the cop dead. And once again says, I need my fluids. So the living cop sheriff guy takes his gun back mm-hmm. and is like, tells the kid, just go, just go home. I'll take care. And just take the, the fucking boy just like throws the dead girl out of his car and drives off. And I guess the other, the cop takes care of the bodies. So meanwhile, this outcast high school student who we learn learn later is named Gavin ends up seeing the whole thing. 
he's with his dog and he sees it. And I love his dog. Okay, so now we're in the next scene, and this is where we meet our main protagonist. Mm-hmm. His name is Steve Clark. He is played by James Marsden. Oh, this might possibly be where my obsession with James Marsden came from at that so age. Funny. I don't know. I actually can't remember, but <laughs> I mean, 1998. I don't know when I would have saw James Marsden beforehand. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> fair. So he is moving to a place called Cradle Bay with his family. We find out that Cradle Bay is one of those places that are only accessible by boat. Oh no, sad. Yep. Never, ever, ever live in a town where you're trapped or can only leave by one road. No, bad. Bad. That's like at least four or five Stephen King like short stories. You should be able to leave places from a lot of different directions. Or it's like well, we went this far and we were lost, so we just kept going. It's no. like, no, turn around and go back. Don't do that. We learn eventually, but I'll just say it here, that the Clarks departed Chicago after the oldest son of the family committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And it was traumatic, so no one really talks about it, except Steve a little bit. Um, but they just moved away from their town in Steve's senior year to try to get away from it. So, first day of school, Steve makes friends with Gavin, who is the kid who saw everything from the night before. And his friend, that goes by the name UV. So... They are very much the conspiracy theorists. Oh, no. Kids. I yeah. mean... It's fun. Just don't go too far. Yep. Because you might fall down the other end. That is who they are. Then Um, you're like, oh no, birds aren't real. (laughs) Birds aren't real? I'm pretty sure birds aren't real, guys. Birds aren't real and Iceland doesn't exist. Iceland, Northland. (laughs) Finland? I think it's Finland. I think it's Finland. (laughs) I feel like I always say Iceland. No, you always say Iceland. I say Norway. And I'm pretty sure it's Finland. (laughs) So, um... Gavin sort of goes through and explains all of this, the social st- structure and the stereotypical cliques of the I assume school. this is like like that scene in Mean Girls where they're pointing out all the Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So he's pointing out all the different ones, and then it comes to the Blue Ribbons, which is like <laughs> essentially a legit club of all the like smart, athletic, athletic, popular kids, big air quotes. Um, and it's led by the school psychologist, Dr. Edgar... Caldecott. That's not like remotely troubling at all. Nope, not at all. And right off the bat, Gavin explains that there's something wrong and fucked up with the whole thing, but Steve just sort of brushes him off. So later that day, Steve ends up witnessing a fight between a rebellious student named Dickie Atkinson and one of the Blue Ribbons. And then that night, Dickie is later attacked um, as he's secluded in a marina by the Blue Ribbons. And then we aren't sure what happens to him, but he's missing the next day. But none of the main characters seem to notice. Mm-hmm. But you're like, what happened to this kid? After this girl got murdered. So who knows what happens? Steve, being the new kid, the Blue Ribbons take a liking to him and want him to join the group. He's also very attractive and all-American. very attractive and all-American. But they are like, hey, you should join the group. And he's like, nah, no thanks, bro. Group's ain't my thing. Thank you. Which same. You people ain't my thing. Also, anyone who calls themselves the Blue, Blue Ribbons, Ribbons, you might as well just call yourself the Bests. Yeah. 
seriously. Except for that's harder. The best. The best. Simply the best. <laughs> Better than all the rest. <laughs> Why do we sing every podcast? <laughs> Alright, so uh, he says no fucking way. No fucking way. Gross. And I would like your yellow ribbon, please. <laughs> it's like red. No. We want, I mean, if we're talking Pokemon Go here, we want red. If we're talking personalities, I am always happy to be second because being first means you have so much more responsibility. You being know, second still true. means that you're awesome, but you like, don't have to be the most awesome. I feel like awesome. we've had this conversation on this podcast before yes. about being first or second. Stand. In, in stands. Yep. Yes. In band or orchestra, depending on your mm-hmm. instrument. If I there's would. a monetary prize, I'll take first. Yes. Yeah. But if there isn't, I don't fucking care. I don't care. want it. Alright. He says no, and then he huffs his way out of the the fucking, like, office that is like, fuck you people, leave me alone. Yeah. And this is where we meet our next and final main protagonist, Rachel Ray Wagner, who's played by Katie Holmes, the hot loner goth rocker chick who smokes. Oh, well. And that's literally all we ever find out about her. Oh, yeah. But we'll talk about that later. The three of them end up in a local market. They're trying to score some beer and a blue ribbon. Just high schoolers. Yep. Like score beer. Yep. As some blue ribbon guy comes up to Rachel and asks her to go to the coffee shop or whatever later, wherever they are. They're whatever they're shopping. And just get me a gift card so I can go by my fucking yep. self. So she says no because he sucks and minds her own business and just stays with uh, at the truck with Steve and Gavin Blue Ribbon douchebag goes inside the store and he's like checking her out from the store and she's not even doing anything, but he's a teenage douchebag. So um, the next thing we see is a quick view through his eyes and everything kind of goes red and that he's clearly like sexually focused on her, even though she's not doing anything. She's just just standing there at a truck existing. This gets him riled up in not a good way. Some random dude bumps into him, and he basically loses it. So he starts a huge fight. This guy has a septum ring in his oh, nose, no. and he rips it out of no. his face. It's super gross. Yeah, It's like the one scene I always remember. And <laughs> then the fight ends up being broken up by that same cop from the first scene, and he basically just tells the kid to go home. That cop's obviously... Yeah. He's not into anything. I'm sure he's a very pure of heart cop. Yes. Like all cops. Like all cops. cops. I just said pure of cop instead of pure of heart. <laughs> well, all they cops are pure, are pure of cop. cop. It's true. They would suck any other cop, cop's dick before any doing the right thing. Any other cop's cop. Cop. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's true. So yes. next day there's a brief discussion between Gavin and Steve about the girl who was murdered in the first scene and the cops are just playing the runaway story and every way, everyone is just believing it. Ugh. And then as they finish their conversation, they meet up with Rachel who is watching the Blue Ribbons group smashing a car for charity. And who is there? None other than Dickie with his hair combed back, slicked back with some gel, wearing I'm sure a blue cardigan. I'm sure he goes by Richard now, looks nothing like himself, and is clearly a blue ribbon. Do they all wear blue? Yes. Ugh. 
Yeah, the weather is, uh, yeah. Um, or, you know, mostly blue, yeah. sometimes not, but, like... Like, not necessarily all blue, but, like, some sort yeah. of blue to yeah. be like, oh, I'm a blue mm-hmm. man. I would uh, immediately stop wearing blue forever. Yes. Not yep. forever. So, this is obviously a total 180 on his personality. Mm-hmm. And Steve and Rachel are shocked, but Gavin isn't that shocked and just explains some kind of mind control thing going on with the you blue ribbons. So... When Steve is like, bro, like, this is an intense story. Like, show me some proof. Gavin shows Steve a photo of himself and a few of his friends all smoking pot and being super stoned. And all the people in the photo with him are now all part of the Blue Ribbon and acting nothing like they were before. Then he was like, look, you want more proof? Let's go to this, like, parent-teacher Blue Ribbon conference meeting and let's, like, sneak in and listen. So they sneak in. They're, like, in the vent. There were a lot of vents during that time, too, where people were... Big enough vents that two grown boys can fucking fit in. Like, next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Not, like, head to ass because you have to be behind the person. Specifically... Next to each other, shoulder to shoulder. <laughs> shoulder to shoulder. So That's not they, a real song. <laughs> thank you for clarifying. Though I'm sure there's some song that has that lyrics in them. So they're watching this conference meeting thing. And there are a few parents that are talking about how though their kids' grades have like greatly improved, they seem to have changed. Though this Dr. Um, Caldicott just simply brushes them off. And then he introduces parents of the next kid who's going to join the Blue Ribbon. And it is none other than Gavin's parents. Dun, dun, so dun. he freaks out and I assume they Fair. shimmy out of the fucking vents that they're in. Each other. <laughs> we have to get out of here. Okay, don't go too quick because we might touch each other. <laughs> Two dudes in a hot tub. <laughs> <laughs> Zero feet apart because they're in a vent. <laughs> Shit. So, they shimmy me out of the vent. And they don't show that, but I assume. I want, oh my god. <laughs> Director's cut, please. <laughs> what a stupid, of course they have to. This, that's another thing that is like one of my favorite things about really any movie. The horror movies and action movies in particular, where you're like, here's the stupid thing that they didn't show. <laughs> that you know had to happen, because it's the only way out of this dumb situation. And they were like, fade to black. <laughs> God damn it. You know what else when they fade to black? Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I wasn't right. <laughs> 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 Doing it. <laughs> like, are you in sixth grade? <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. So, they shimmy out and it fades, well, it fades to black, then they shimmy out. So, Gavin is freaking out, obviously. Mm-hmm. He and Steve are now, like, walking on the beach because they clearly just. <laughs> Nice romantic watch walk on the beach where their hands touch and they're like trying not to hold hands. Not gay. I'm just my head just keeps bumping into yours, man. I assume they said man or dude. But it's one hundred percent accurate. They are walking on the shoreline, the beach. Like we were in 
Oh, fuck. I'm sure the stuck in event is a trope on AO3. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Okay, so he ends up pulling out a gun, Gavin. What? And Gavin's lot is essentially being like, when I go home, I'm going to shoot every person in my house, and I don't fucking care. They're not taking me. Oh. So Steve wrestles the gun away from him, oh. gets it, and basically tells him just to go home and chill the fuck out. Like, it's it's a bigger deal than he's making it necessary. Like, when they say, hey, join me, just be like, no, and fucking ghost them, essentially. Gavin is basically just screams about how Steve doesn't get it, and now that you don't get it, and he he's ruined everything. I was gonna hold your mm-hmm. hand, man. He was gonna hold his hand. I wanna hold your hand, but unfortunately, couldn't because Gavin was doomed. He got beard. He knew it, and Steve didn't figure it out soon enough. And we knew Gavin was right as the viewer, but Steve doesn't know yet. Steve is the all-American hero, which means he has to be a little stupid. His name is Steve. Also that. <laughs> we found out that most people's names that are Steve are all-American heroes that are stupid. Oh, they were trying so hard. <laughs> He's trying so hard. So the next day, we see Gavin, hair trimmed, brushed, gel in it, wearing a sweater vest, <laughs> and he wants nothing to do with Steve and Rachel. So Steve is pissed. And confronts him, and a fight breaks out. And literally every person in the school that is in the cafeteria that is not a blue ribbon runs out of the cafeteria. And then all the random blue ribbon people lock the fucking doors because somehow they can lock the cafeteria doors. I mean, pretty sure you can't do that. All in cahoots. But this is true. And they kick Steve's ass, telling him that it's none of his business. So now he believes Gavin. It's too too late. late. Your short time lover is stuck with the BRs. It's true. So, but Steve's like, okay, I gotta figure out what the fuck is going on here. And then he finds out what happened in this little town to make all these people turn a blind eye to the way their kids are drastically changing. The janitor, Dorian, who Steve befriends at some point. Because of course. Because of course. The... Wise janitor is another dumb trope. So actually, not dumb. It's fine. But he's like, not. He so he's a wise janitor, but he acts actually like he's dumb because he sees everything and people yo. make fun of him mm-hmm. and shit, and he just acts stupid. So they'll just leave him alone. And also, they'll be honest. Yeah. Well, they'll say stuff around him, and he just acts dumb, and they're just like me, and they just walk away because they think he's not all up there, which he probably isn't, but not as much as even they did. Yeah. So he tells Steve this story that is essentially Footloose, but Footloose. with a, yes, crazy doctor instead of a preacher. No one's allowed to dance. Exactly. He even makes a Footloose fucking reference oh in my it. God. Yep. So, oh my God. four kids drinking, drove through a red light, smashed into another car, and all six people from the two cars died. Hmm. And that's after, shortly after, this was, like, the tipping point for the town, and this is when the, the doctor showed up, and things started going crazy. Where are these people fucking coming from? Know. I don't know. But he does make I a assume- footloose comments, because he's like, there's no more drunk driving, but there's no more, there's no more dancing and laughing anymore, either. And I was like, that? Footloose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, like, where's Kevin Bacon when we fucking need it? <laughs> Kevin Bacon, come save this town. Help, Kevin Bacon. 
<laughs> so he finds out why everybody's a fucking stick in the mud. Later, Steve gets home that evening to find a blue le- uh, ribbon member, Lorna Longley. She's in his wait his, his waiting room in his living room. <laughs> For some reason, I thought you were going to say his waiting list, no. which is even weirder. So, in the living room, mm-hmm. waiting up after she was tutoring Steve's younger sister, Lindsay. Steve and Steve's a little like, "What the fuck you at my house?" And she ends up hitting on him, but he tells her no, and so she does back off. But she's like, "Hey, can I use your bathroom before I leave?" And he's like, "Yeah, go ahead." So she's in the bathroom. And then that's when something obviously funky starts going on with her. As she emerges, she's partly undressed, so she had, like, a button-up blouse on, and it's undone. And she starts to forcefully kiss Steve, and in her heightened arousal, her eyes start glowing red. And Steve sees it this time. Just heightened arousal (laughs) as a term is always just fucking funny. So... She is aroused. I don't know where Heightened arousal. She is in heightened arousal. <laughs> and her eyes, they glow red. And <laughs> Steve sees it. And then she starts just saying over and over again, wrong, bad, wrong, bad. She then uh, smashes her head into oh, a mirror no. that's on there. They're hanging on their wall. Not to bring back Harry Potter, but this is just classic Dobby shit. <laughs> I'm a house elf who is punishing myself. Yep. This movie might have come out before. Oh, it definitely did. Okay. I don't, I can't date. I think so, because that was early 2000s, and this is 1998. So, smashes her head into the mirror, picks up one of the bigger shards of the mirror, and then attacks Steve. Mm. He fends her off and gets her to get the fuck out of his house. And then later, she is seen undergoing treatment in a medical facility that is under Dr. Kelly Cott's direction. And they're removing some chip that's been implanted in her in her brain, and it suggests in the, in the scene it suggests that the procedure is actually permanently destroying the girl's psyche. And it also notes that the chip has malfunctioned, and it well the chip malfunctions every time a teen gets horny. Who may, uh, uh. So, first of all, but this is a problem. You should probably fix that. Every time they're teenagers, they're always horny. Oh boy. Okay. So you made something that's literally completely useless, or that will just randomly like destroy somebody's mind. Yeah. So every the like three fucking minutes controls the children, making them straight and narrow, except when their hormones flare up, which is. Every five minutes, because they're say, teenagers, like, and their like, hormones are every time a curtain flaps, a dude gets a boner. Yeah, it's fairly. Oh no! Mm-hmm. So genuinely, imagine marketing this to someone <clears throat> who's a parent of a teen who washes their fucking sheets and being like, "Yo, so I know it might kill your kid when they get horny, but like that almost never happens, right? <laughs> right, but." Something you might find cool is they put it through the eye. I do remember that. I very specifically remember yeah. that. You know, it's lobotomy. Yeah, essentially. Same place, right? Yeah. So now that they know what the threat is, and Steve is now like, oh, this is a thing. I should oh, stop oh, it. Troubles. How do I stop it? Crying. Well, 
No crying. No, I was going to just cry. Can you just cry out? (laughs) (laughs) What if I just cry a lot? Rachel happens to head down to the, I guess, boiler room or wherever the custodian I remember the boiler room also. Yep, she's following. Why are we here? Um, But she's followed by that stupid blue woman prick who tried to pick her up before. He, this time, is blatantly like, you should go out with me. Which, I'm surprised he even fucking yeah. is trying to pick her up because she's clearly, like, not the straight and narrow way. But whatever. I mean, it's not like we don't know people. It's not like everyone <laughs> doesn't know a person who's like, I would like to just get a little bit of my, like, trashiness on the yeah. side. Gross. Yeah. So she rejects him and he freaks out, though. That not- was in quotes, by the way. I don't think that she's trashy, I think. Yes. He, like I said, she rejects him. She flat out is like, no, you're gross. He freaks out. I'm not gross! I, like, yeah, I don't really know if it's because of the chip. I don't think it is. It's probably because he's just a privileged fucking white boy. Yeah. Who's got everything handed to him we'll that he's freaking out. like that, but we all <clears> know what's up. And so he, like, lo- is losing it, and it doesn't look good for Rachel. And then the janitor pops up, and he turns on this machine that has this tone, this high-pitched tone. It's not unusual. It- <laughs> that's- oh, wait. What? That's that's not this movie. No. <laughs> no. Um, so it's playing this tone, this high-pitched tone that's supposed to, like, scare away or kill the rats or whatever. And But the blue ribbon freaks out in pain, grabbing his ears, ends up smashing the machine, and then runs off. So, oh, we found out a thing to slow these fucking crazy bitches down. Yeah, yeah. And also sometime at this point, Rachel happens to find some tape or cassette or... Or, or VHS or floppy disk. Oh. I don't know what fucking 1998 had. I yeah. know I lived there, but it's that's the big too guys, long ago. the little guys for the floppy disk. Yep. And it's Gavin, and he left like this recording Aww. that shows some more clues of what he found on the blue ribbon. So this tape leaves the two. I've said Marston and Holmes because it's essentially just James Marston and Katie Holmes. They're not yeah. characters. They're and just also, little, I don't bitty babies. Their names anymore. So <laughs> and then, um, Rachel and Steve. That's why I don't remember their names. Oh, I wonder why. <laughs> so there, they, it leads them to this mental hospital called Bishop Flats. So they find out that uh, the mind control is being used to make unruly teens become perfect so they can functional function properly in life. But the programming has some glitches and momentarily relapses and violent fits. Like when they get a little horny, which is all the time when you're a teenager. (laughs) Oh no, my hormones. (laughs) They also end up, it's a random scene, but they also, so they end up in this insane asylum and they're walking around and they end up finding Callie Cott's own daughter, Betty, who ended? Who we find out is a failed project, and who pairs has basically been lobotomized by her father's experiments. She's a Rosemary Kennedy. Yes. Sorry. Don't lobotomize your daughter. No. They GTFO of this mental hospital. Whoop. And Rachel is basically like, see, we need to just fucking go. Like, we need to get on this ferry, and we need to never come back. Thought you were gonna say we need to just fucking do it. Don't worry, that's coming. Yeah! So, I assume they have, if you're horny enough, yeah. you break the chip. 
So <laughs> it just it just breaks. It, it just, just malfunctions. Literally poops right out of your <laughs> eye and you're like or no, you like sneeze it out because that's all connected and you're like, what the it's fuck true. is this? It's true. I have a weird boner. <laughs> so she's trying to be like, let's just fucking leave, like this is bullshit, like we can't do this, and this whole town is fucked up. And Steve's like, nah, I can't leave my little sister. I can fight it. Oh, also. I can't leave my little sister because they're obviously targeting her. They have this, like, intense thing. And then they kiss. And then they do have sex in the truck. In the middle of this giant thing of being like, we need to fucking leave this town. But let's first have a quick, a really quickie. I'm sure it'll only be two seconds because he's probably never had sex in his life. So it probably will only be two seconds. But I'm like, the lesson in this movie is teenage horniness. They kiss, and he, like, unbuttons a button, and it fades to black. And they're in a vent. They're not in a vent. They're in a truck. They're in her truck. So it smells like cigarettes. Yes, because she smokes. Yep. And so, I was, when I was watching it, I was like, the vent or the truck. Wait, wait, what? What? Why are they have? I get, I understand it's a 90s movie and it's teenagers and they're obviously going to throw sex in it, but what? (laughs) Well, they were like, I guess we still have to sell sex, but because it's after the 80s, we can't have it with titties. But it was all the worst parts of it where it's just like weird foreplay and a button unbuttoning. Yeah. And it was just, it was not Not a good time for it. It was really weird. It was. Is it this did. the fucking time? Come on, guys. It's not. Yeah, it's not. They so, do it, and then the blue ribbons just knock on the fucking window, and they're like, "Yo, we found you because you you were doing it. We're doing it. Don't worry, they won't find him. It will only last two seconds." Fair. <laughs> so, anyways, they do it briefly. Briefly, <laughs> and now we're back to them being dressed, and they're getting gas or something at a gas station, and that shitty cop. Comes up to them. We all know he's shitty. And he's shitty. And just because he he's a cop. He knows also. that they know shit. And so he tells them to get out of the car. And then just randomly is like, I'm going to arrest you for no reason because he's a shitty cop. First of all, don't get out of the car if a fucking crazy person says this shit. Here's the thing. If you get pulled over, you can call yep. 911. Yep. And tell them where you are and make sure that's an actual cop. And you have the right that if you're in a dark area to drive or on a highway to to drive two, three miles to a place in a parking lot or wherever that is lit and has other people around and then pull over Mm -hmm. if you don't feel safe. This is important. I know we're tangenting, but this is important. If you feel unsafe when you're going to, because there are so many cases where it is cops that are the murderers. Or it's somebody faking being a cop. Or faking being a cop. But there are enough, like, shitty cops that will take advantage of their, like, supposed power. So, if you, if it's late, if it's dark, there's one time I got pulled over real late, and twice, actually, and I should have done this, but this is before I was super into true crime. Call 911 and wait till you're in a lit place to pull over, because they cannot get mad, they're not supposed to be able to get mad at you for that. Because it's they will because cops yes, are mad at everything. But yeah. if you were to go to court and do they that, can't they can't legally fucking, get yes. mad at you. Yes. But call nine one one and let them know where you are, <laughs> and they can see if an actual cop is dispatched. 
And then if that cop does murder you, they'll know that a cop was dispatched to yep. you because you called. You will be so. a record of that call. Yes. So, important fact. So the cop is now randomly arresting them. <laughs> and the janitor happens to pop up. And he sees this happening. So he ends up smashing the cop over the head with something that he had in his car and knocking the cop out. So they both get in the car and drive off. Dreams. Right? Yep, right? So they both rush back to Steve's house. They get his little sister. And just as they're about to run out, and she's like, okay, I guess I'm going with you. I don't know what's happening, but sure. And just as they're about to leave, his parents turn on his lights, on the lights, and they basically intercept him. They found the gun that he had taken from Gavin, and as I mentioned previously, their elder son committed suicide. So because of this, they signed Steve up for the Blue Ribbon Program, being worried for him. And so he starts freaking out, and then lo and behold, uh, Dr. Caldicott is also there at his house. Steve is trying to explain. They have no idea what's going on. They can't make him do this. They're just trying to be like, I feel like this is the best for you. We're worried about you. And then laying the probably most satisfying punch ever of Steve's life. He punches Dr. Calicotti, like, in the fucking stomach, and he runs out of the house with his sister, but the blue ribbons are all surrounding them, and they've already captured Rachel and have pulled her out of the the Right, I remember. Yeah. Also, not a bad idea. Like, the stomach is great if you can hit that right place where you're going to fuck somebody up. But also, you know what's a really good place? The nuts! The throat also. The nose! Sing! Bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Thank you, Miss Congeniality. Yes. You know, your throat is nice and open. Yeah. And sometimes you can really fuck somebody up by that. And you can, at the very least, put them out of commission for a little bit. Same with your dicks. Yes. So, essential shit. We know what's happening here. They're yep. about to be chipped. They break out. Looks like they're going to be captured again. And then good old Dorian, who is the janitor, janitor shows up with a whole truckload of those rat machines and <laughs> ends up helping them escape. So how does it end? His sister, UV, and Rachel get in a truck because his sister and UV end up helping them try to escape. And somewhere a motorcycle comes out of the way. So Steve goes after Dorian to help him. Mm-hmm. But we find out that Dorian is shot and he's not going to survive anyways. But he's like, if I'm going down, I'm taking everybody with me. with me. So as all of the blue ribbons are diving on his car to destroy the machines, he drives off the cliff with all of them on them. Nice. Steve is there, and then Dr. Calicoat also shows up, and they have a mini fight, and then he, and then Steve throws him off the cliff, ending him as well. So, you, spell, uh, you have pronounced Caldicott differently every single time? Yes. Caldicott. And literally at least one, no, just one time, but one time you just said Caldicotti. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> There's no I at the end of the like name. Manicotti. Or oh, something. no one wants a manicotti. <laughs> pasta. I'd like him a lot better if he was just a giant manicotti. If he was manicotti. just pasta. <laughs> Turns out he's just a type of pasta, and that's actually the conspiracy all along. <laughs> so it's Caldicott. It's C-A-L-D-I-C-O-T-T. 
<laughs> it's Caldecote. It's just was that there was Caldecote one time. So good. I'm not even pronouncing the hard part right. No, like the hard part I'm pronouncing right. You're the right font me, part like, is my problem. You like do the part where you're like I have to pay attention, and then you stop being there at all. <laughs> Caldecroke. <laughs> so Dr. CC is the is is dead now. <laughs> Good for him. In the dramatic I ending love to see it. of all of a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Uh just as the par- fairy's pulling away and they think Steve isn't gonna make it, this motorcycle that he found is <laughs> flying off the ramp and lands dramatically on the ferry. He suddenly knows how to do that. motorcycle jumps. Yeah, suddenly he knows how to ride a fucking motorcycle. He got his motorcycle license very briefly <laughs> with Dr. Caldecott. Doctor Z, Doctor Z, it's spreading now. Except Ryan couldn't even say doctor, so um, they have a dramatic scene where they're like, "We're the only survivors." <laughs> Me and Rachel and his sister Lindsay in UV, even though there's a whole town that weren't blue ribbons, so it's fine. I don't and the rest know. of the town was like, we just didn't do anything with this, and now we didn't get a bunch of our friends fucking murdered. <laughs> and we're just gonna still not do anything about it, and everything's yeah. back to normal. <laughs> Turns out if you ignore the weird doctor, you're probably just fine. So, is it over? I assume once the fairy leaves, Dr. Caldecott's arm jumps out of the water, just like fucking Carrie. <laughs> Jason jumps out of the water. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh my god, that would be so good. So, the movie ends with in a town of unknown origin with a bunch of rowdy kids being introduced to a new teacher. Footloose! <laughs> Sorry. Uh, God damn it. So, camera is panning up, Martha. Can you see it? We're at the feet of this guy. He's clearly in He's nice not shoes. dancing, clearly. Shut up. He's not dancing. He is in a classroom full of rowdy, rambunctious kids that clearly need help. And he's on his feet. You can see he's in a nice suit. It's slowly coming up. Now you just see him from behind. You don't know who it is. Who is it? Is it Dr. Caldy Cotty? No. <laughs> Is it Dr. Manicotti? It's actually it's just pasta. <laughs> Turns around and the person's face is just pasta. It's Gavin! No. Dun, dun, dun! And then it fades to black, which we all know means he's now having sex. Not yeah. with all those kids, no. though, hopefully. No. Ew. That's not allowed. That's not allowed. I assume he just went to an event by himself to, like, whack off. I was going to say, <laughs> reminisce. <laughs> And whack off while he reminisces. Gonna be romantic about it. Hold him. I was assuming reminisce included. <laughs> whacking off. It's, it's very romantic, whacking off. Um. So yeah, so that's how the movie ends. And that's it. No, I was kidding. That's <laughs> it. And that's my story. Okay, goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, Alright, I rate this movie probably just like 2.5 stars out of 5 <laughs> stars. But... One <laughs> star is probably only because of nostalgia. <laughs> so it's probably going to say like a C plus to C minus. Yeah, you know, and depending on how much I like give a fuck yeah. about this sort of nonsense. Yeah, like you that. know. But it 
It did have a lot of potential, and it just ended up not coming through. Most of the movie was choppy. It was very like, why are we already on the next scene? But Let things land, please. Yes, and there's just a lot left untold. But what we know is that... We didn't want them to fade to black in that bed. We didn't want them to fade to black in that bed or when they were on that beach Mm -hmm. pretending not to touch hands because they just did it in the vent. I don't think you can do it in a vent. In 90s vents, you can. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's the difference. 90s vents, they're very wide. They accommodate several Yes, he knows. Mancy knows what's up. <laughs> Mancy, I don't think we have 90s vents in our Mancy misses 90s vents. Mancy's like, I've been crushed into this <laughs> 2020s vent. I'm like really wishing that my bones were smaller. Mancy, eat our bread. <laughs> Mancy, our only friend in Las Vegas. <laughs> okay, so in the original trailer, there's probably like half of the original trailer is just scenes that never made it into the movie. I love... So that's one of those things where it's like maybe it wouldn't have been so... If they hadn't... Yeah, if they hadn't chopped all these scenes out. Uh, maybe it would have made a little like more a, sense. You know, it would have flowed a little bit better. Worse, but also very entertaining when you're like, so when is that part going to happen? Okay, I guess never. never. Um, I'm still mad that Natasha Romanoff did not shoot Tony Stark's fucking Iron Man glove. Still mad about it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so, um, so I hardly touched on the scene because they were the scene, the like two or three scenes, because they were very, very minimal and essentially unimportant about Steve's brother and his suicide. Because it, like I said, it just seems so unimportant. Like, they like whipped over it, but just with the gun. <clears throat> yeah, but it's like one of those things where it's like the few scenes they did show, clearly Steve has PTSD. Mm. And it's something that should have played more of a part in it, especially with it's like these kids being perfect, the gun, like they moved here, like this thing, the yeah. family was the trying to... The problem with yeah. the like outcast kids yeah, where nobody's exactly. allowed to be like different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so yeah, that could have been really... It could have been a, a very interesting part, and it could have made things make a little more sense, foreshadowing what's going on around you. And then also, because it's so short, other than Steve, there's really lack of any character uh, or character development or knowledge of them. We don't know much about Gavin other than that he had these stoner friends, and now they're the Blue Ribbons, and he's like, mm, what's going on? And we know zero about Rachel other than physically what she is. She is the meaning of her. Yeah. Um, and that. it just makes the characters hard to relate yeah. to when they're like that. And then, but there are plenty of things that make this movie great, and what at least 90s kids will always love about this movie it's creepy. It is a creepy movie. It's a small town gone corrupt in a semi-plausible way, obviously, minus the mind control but like the cops and the parents and this teacher and shit like this. Yeah. Um, and the fear of... Everybody the, being cahoots because one thing went yeah, a Yeah, because one thing much. went away. And then the fears of disturbing behavior that they hope to prey on are still very real. Anyone who's gone through high school knows that trying to fit in can be very difficult, if not torture. Even if they are competent enough just to do their own things, they're still at risk to be targeted by anything that's not just the regular status quo. 
disturbing behavior takes the cult of teenage conformity to the extreme and not only lays the blame on some of the peer pressure, but actually lays most of the blame on the parents trying to have that perfect kid yep. that allows this crazy guy to come in and try to step forward eyes the brains of their, their children. Mm. The movie also plays on the frustrating but great you know more than the main character because you're seeing scenes that he is not, which is leaving you screaming at the, the TV the so whole time. So much more suspense that way. Yes. I fucking love that yes. shit. And you know me, I love scream at the TV. Yes. So we are both TV <laughs> we are screamers. both TV screamers. Yes, which, like I said, very frustrating, but is a great, great... Yeah. You're like, no! Yeah, I'm going <laughs> And overall, the movie did fall short of all the potential that it had since they were busy cramming all these scenes in and just but trying to sprint to the finish line in a whole 83 minutes. That's all the movie was. Holy all they needed shit. to do was add 15 more minutes and the movie would have been so much more... Would have made more, yes. more sense. And 15 sure. more minutes still wouldn't have even made the movie that fucking long. But I guess this is 1998 and movies weren't really that much over... But it's not even an hour and a half. Oh my god. I know. But... Even though it's not the best movie, it is, like I said, a nice nostalgia movie, and it's fun, and it's a different kind of suspense horror vibe, and it will always remain one of those classic horrors that I will watch in my book. All right. So that is that. Mm -hmm. We had a few technical difficulties tonight, but we we did it We'll see how that all Hopefully it all works out. We should hopefully be able to keep up mostly with everything, even though we're in Massachusetts. Yeah. But yeah, it might be a little bit different. We'll probably have some... Probably not, maybe not for spooky season, but we'll pro- we're going to try to have some guests while we're there, which yeah. can come in later episodes. And we're going to try to be guests while yes. we're there. Yes, and we'll obviously make sure we let you know what those are. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, but everyone, uh, happy October. Happy spooky season. But otherwise, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, where we would really love for you to rate, review, and subscribe. That would be super cool. out a lot. You can also find us on Spotify. We are also on the ESO Network and on Podbean. And we will see you, hopefully, next Tuesday. Oh no, my hormones! (laughs) This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.